Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 274, and today's guest is Ashley Aiden, principal at Vamos Ventures. There is a growing number of VC firms that are focused on investing in diverse founders. It's a very important trend, as I believe these firms will continue to build a foundation that leads to more investing in great companies, regardless of the founder's gender or ethnic background. Vamos Ventures is one of these firms that is focused on changing the dynamic. 100% of the firm's portfolio is diverse, and over 40% of their investments are women-led, and over 90% of their portfolio companies are Latinx-led. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like a deep discussion on what can be done to grow the number of diverse investors who are funding startups, Ashley's background story, including her time at Brown University and how her career got started in various roles across investment banking and e-commerce, how she got started in the world of venture capital while at MIT Sloan with the Dorm Room Fund and other firms, what led her to join Vamos Ventures and some of the details around the firm's investment thesis, lots of great advice for founders around fundraising regardless of the economic climate, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. It's hard to believe that we have over 250 episodes of the VentureFizz podcast. We have built up an amazing catalog of inspirational stories around building companies, and every episode includes lots of great advice to follow as well. So if you haven't checked out our past interviews, go to VentureFizz.com slash podcast for the complete list. Oh, and one ask, please share the VentureFizz podcast with your friends and colleagues in the industry. I appreciate your support. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Ashley. Ashley, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Likewise, I'm really excited to you because um, we've got a lot to talk about, uh, you know, your path into venture, some great advice questions for hopefully helping entrepreneurs raise capital. But um, I think it's really important to kind of talk about Vamos Ventures and what the firm is doing, right? And a key part of your role as a venture capitalist. Uh, so along that is helping... Uh, build a more diverse pipeline of companies that are getting funded, which when you think about that, it might start from the investor side of things if we have more diverse investors. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk to you about like what like what advice would you have to help solve that challenge of having you know more investors that have you know gender or ethnic backgrounds that are more diverse? Yeah, it's a big problem. And, you know, we're, we're just a, a small piece of, of this bigger problem. But I think there's, to your point, two sides of, of this uh, this problem. It's one, the investor side, as you mentioned, and then two, even the founder side. On the investor side, um, you know, take me, for example, growing up, I did not know that venture capital was an industry, was a you know serious career path. Even you know a, the founding journey. Um, of course, I watched you know the big idea with Donny Deutsch with my dad, and that's sort of how I. And this was, by the way, as I was going into sort of my later teens, early twenties. Uh, wait, you know, there's a really interesting path being on the founder side to generational wealth and creating change and whatnot. On the investor side, though, it wasn't until. I got to maybe, you know, the middle of my undergrad at at Brown University, my undergrad experience, where because of things like an entrepreneurship program or because of classes bringing different venture capitalists and investors in that I was like, wait, like there's also a really interesting path in investing in founders and creating generational wealth that way. And so 
um, you know, I think on, on both sides, the founder and the investor side, it's starting education early and making folks aware of that, you know, these are viable career paths. Of course, they're more risky, especially on the founder side. But, you know, I, I often say to people like really, truly the the one of the best ways in creating generational wealth and impact is founding something and it's investing in those game changing businesses. And so why not, you know, educate, um, you know, folks on, on these different career paths early on, whether that happens in school, you know, I say it could happen as early as high school, for example, um, or if it happens through, you know, different programs that partner with, with schools or even universities. Uh, and I think there, there should be a lot more work there than, than what I see now. I, also think the other side is, especially on the investor side, it's taking bets on people, diverse people, to you know be put in capital allocator roles. Trust us. Um, you know the beauty of the venture and startup space is that there's so much diversity in backgrounds and experiences, career-wise. That I often say the most interesting investors and interesting founders have a bunch of zigzags in their career because they could just speak to so much more. And so take a bet that that person can resonate with the, you know, with, an, with the founder on the other side, right? Or that founder can resonate with an investor on the other side. The more diversity on both sides, I think there's more, more and more alignment as the world changes and becomes more diverse, right? 20 plus percent of the U.S. population is going to be Latino in only a few short years. And so, you know, you need other investors <laughs> that identify that have that lived experience on the other side. And then the last thing I'll say is getting rid of the bias. Um, and I know that's that's sort of a, a big statement and something that ve that's very hard to do that requires a lot, a lot of work. But um, for example, with women, that we are maybe more emotional investors or that you know we, we don't really get into sort of the numbers and the analytics. And that's just completely wrong, right? Um, unfortunately, only 5% of venture partners uh, in, in the space, in the venture ecosystem, I think are women partners. Um, and so I think, again, this goes back to sort of my point on taking bets and you know trying to be aware of those biases that are just completely wrong um, is, is a good step. So I know I threw a lot at you there, but I think these are just little things that, that I've noticed that, you know, at Vamos, we're working on. And by the way, 100% of our investment team is diverse. Um, we're all Latino. 50% women. And we often find that because of that, a lot of founders feel more comfortable coming to us as we invest and grow our fund. Yeah. There's a couple of things like, cause you did share a lot and those are all amazing points to help accomplish this mission. We got a long road to go, but hopefully firms like Vamos Ventures are making an impact. You know, um, I had Santa for Mendoza from Mendoza Ventures on the podcast, you know, at some point last year. So these funds that are specifically focused on funding different founders that aren't, you know, that, that are diverse, I think are going a long way to hopefully accomplishing this mission. Again, we still have a long way to go. And I also agree with, you know, the education starting as early as the high school, like uh, build is a fantastic nonprofit organization that starts, you know, they are specifically focused on helping build an entrepreneurial culture for under-resourced communities in high school. And that's when you really get the light bulbs off that, wait, this is a career path that you can pursue. So uh, all excellent, excellent points. So let's rewind the clock. Where did you grow up? You kind of gave some hints to your background a little bit, but I want to dig deeper. Where did you grow up and what were you like as a child? Oh gosh, I hope 
hopefully it wasn't, wasn't a nightmare, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think my dad says uh, that I was his star child. Don't tell my brother that, but um, <laughs> uh, I grew up in Staten Island, New York. So the forgotten borough of New York city um, to a Turkish father and Puerto Rican mother, my dad immigrated to this country, you know, in his early twenties. And he has the traditional like immigrant story of he only came here with, you know, $20 in his pocket and was very entrepreneurial and, and built his way up. Um, you know, as a kid, I think I was always questioning things and why things worked and how they worked and whatnot. And so I, you know, have this like this uh, theme and throughout my career of like almost this investigative, like journalistic type of um, uh, edge. And I think that was so wonderful and that I was questioning everything as a kid, because as it relates to sort of the venture space, you really need to ask good questions <laughs> to founders and really uncover, well, what is going to move the needle with this business? How is this company going to scale? Is this founding team the right team? Um, asking those really tough questions. And there are a lot of you know folks in the venture space who have these journalistic and investigative type backgrounds, and they make wonderful investors because, again, they're uncovering a lot of things on, on the business and really getting to sort of the, the meat um, of, of what makes this business a billion dollar unicorn, what whatnot. Um, so I was always questioning things as a kid. I also had an interest in the American dream and, and the success story. Hence, like why I used to watch Donnie, the big idea with Donnie Deutsch on CNBC back in the day um, of, wow, like, you know, I see this, the, Sarah Blakely, for example, the founder of Spanx, talking about how she went door to door uh, and, you know, sold people Spanx um, or how, you know, she really had to push her first manufacturing partner to believe in her story. And once they, that, you know, he did or, or they did, um, that's when the company sort of really scaled and sort of that hustle, that grit, um, you know, again, just banging on those doors. That's something that, you know, hearing so much as a kid and reading these stories and whatnot, I was so inspired by. And so I often was adventurous and, and took a lot of risks and leaps in, in my career because of that. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, here I am in, in the venture space. <laughs> and so you went to Brown, you, you had mentioned that before. So what, what brought you to Brown? And um, I think all the Ivies have come a long way in terms of building that entrepreneurial culture, because historically it was management consulting and yeah. investment banking. Uh, but now there's such an entrepreneurial culture at schools like Brown. So talk about, cause you were very involved in those circles. So what, what was it like at Brown at the time? It was, you know, it, it was wonderful. And it was sort of the early innings of what Brown has become, which is this entrepreneurial hub of an undergrad. And I, I don't think a lot of people know that, like, you know, the founders of Casper, Magic Spoon, like all of these really great consumer oriented companies have come from Brown University's campus. Uh, and so when I was there, uh, again, it was the early innings, I was part of the Brown University Entrepreneurship Program. And I also launched a um, organization called Lady Launchers that was focused on uh, women entrepreneurs or, you know, women that were interested in sort of the entrepreneurial path. And what I found was such a hunger for a need for folks wanting to learn about the space. Um, I remember I, I, uh, I invited one of the founders who actually attended Brown of Warby Parker to come back to speak on campus. And that session had about a hundred folks. And I was like, wow, there really is such a demand for, you know, learning about these different journeys. Um, now today, Brown has its own building and own, you know, program focused on entrepreneurship. Um, I think Danny Warshe, for example, leads a lot of that stuff. Hazeltine, Professor Hazeltine back in the day, focused on a lot of that stuff. Um, and so uh, I would say I'm hearing more because I, you know, mentor and I, I talk to you and I'm very connected to Brown Brown's campus still. Um, more and more 
um, students are wanting to become entrepreneurs or wanting to explore venture. And I'm getting a lot of sort of inbound emails being like, can you please talk to me about the space and how to get in? And it's wonderful. Um, and I think, by the way, inherently in Brown's, um, uh, you know, the, the ethos of Brown because of the open curriculum is to be creative, is to explore, is to, you know, explore things that you actually really want to do. And I think that lends itself well to this whole entrepreneurial um, path. So what'd you do coming out of Brown? <laughs> uh, well, I sold my soul to, to Morgan Stanley. I, I was on the Capitol. <laughs> um, and I, and I say that because, you know, I, I think, that, by the way, I loved my experience at Morgan Stanley, but um, it was so interesting going from being so focused on entrepreneurship to then going into <laughs> capital markets at Morgan Stanley. And I did that because I said to myself, well, I could always go to a startup and explore the venture world after let me get this sort of baseline understanding or, you know, um, how, you know, the, from, from a finance perspective, how do things move? How do companies work? What's the storytelling behind it? And uh, I built a really great network and a really solid skill set on the analytical and non-analytical side at Morgan Stanley. So much so that after two years, I was like, let me leverage a lot of what I've learned and go to go back into sort of the startup world that I was so focused on at Brown. And I joined a YC um, startup that came out of YC. It, it was an e-commerce startup called shopteeks.com. Shopteeks.com, I think it's still around today, but basically it builds digital storefronts for mom and pop shops and, and boutiques and wanted sort of that world to become more accessible digitally. Um, because of my consumer orientation throughout my career and undergrad, and I covered the consumer space at Morgan Stanley, I said, let me follow on this theme. I love how consumers think. I love thinking about what makes them sticky, um, whether it's e-commerce or marketplaces. And so did everything at Shopteeks from literally being on the phones and calling boutiques to be like, hey, you know, come, come use our platform to th- Thinking about strategy. Is it like a Shopify? Is it similar to like a Shopify? It sounds it, like. Yeah. So, so yeah, basically it was um, uh, a marketplace where we, you know, either one built out the digital storefronts of here's your full offering at the boutique. Let us take pictures and put, put them up for sale online to let's mm. sort of profile everything that's unique about your boutique because you know, whether you're a boutique in Idaho or, you know, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, you should have, you should be visible on sort of a, a global scale. And that was sort of the value prop of, of Shopteeks. Um, and, um, and so after that, uh, you know, I, I spent about a year there learning the ins and outs. And I said to myself, well, let me go back into sort of corporate world to see how entrepreneurship is within a, a larger organization. So I, I tried to sort of follow this theme of consumer and did different sort of functions within that at smaller companies and, and larger or medium-sized companies. And so spent a lot of time at Saks Fifth Avenue and Estee Lauder on the intersection of consumers meet technology with thinking about technologies like virtual try-on, um, buy online, pick up in store, really omni-channel and capturing the consumer wherever he or she is. Uh, and then... Um, how to invest in new technologies, what technologies should we partner? So for example, should we par- partner like uh, partner with a, uh, a company like shopteeks.com or should we partner with um, you know, an, an obsessed virtual reality type of company that digitizes and virtualizes stores where you can walk into stores from, from your computer, right? Thinking about all these cool technologies and then went to MIT Sloan because I said to myself, well, I wanna jump into the venture world now that I have um, the startup experience, the big corporate experience, the analytical finance experience from Morgan Stanley, and started working for a few different funds. So Brand Foundry Ventures, Founders Factory. I was part of Dormer Fund, which is a student venture capital fund. 
And then um, after school, went to join Vamos Ventures because I also, it also became very apparent to me the inequities in the space and that I could invest and have do impact stuff at the same time. Yeah. So you knew going back to, to B school that, uh, that you wanted to become a venture capitalist, like that was your path. Okay. Which makes a lot of sense based on the different funds that you were working with. So what, like, how did you get involved with dorm room and founders and like brand? Like, so how did, how did you get involved in those circles as a, you know, MIT Sloan student? And what did you learn from that experience? Like, you know, actually making investments. Yeah. The, the first fund to bet on me was Dorm Room Fund, and it's the Student Venture Capital Fund. Um, such a wonderful program and network. There are really great founders coming out of there, really you know, top-tier investors. They were, they were one of the first ones that were doing that too, like first round capital, and they've spun that out to be its own Absolutely. thing now. Yeah. yeah they, they just raised a standalone fund, which is great. I think first yeah. round is still a big LP, but there's a bunch of other uh, funds that are big LPs. And I think that's the value pop and, and the wonderful story of Dorm Room Fund. It's that so much creativity and so much entrepreneurship is happening on these college campuses. And, you know, a venture fund can only have its hands in so many different, you know, channels. Why don't we leverage an organization or a fund like Dorm Room Fund to really have, you know, the boots on the ground, the folks at MIT talking to the MIT undergrads, talking to the MIT MBAs to find out what that next big idea is and invest in the earliest stages. And um, that was such a wonderful in for me with, uh, with venture because, again, I got to learn what asking those questions were. I got to know what being visible is. I got to know, learn what um, a good investment <laughs> is, even at the earliest stages, which is you know, mostly on the founding team. What do I vet from a founding team perspective? Um, for the other opportunities, it was literally me just cold emailing these funds being like, hey, I have this really interesting mix of consumer startup finance experience. Here are some thesis uh, areas that I think are interesting. Here are a few portfolio companies that I have some ideas about. And it's almost like I was doing the job before getting the job. Uh, and that's why I think these funds took a chance on me of like, I was already, you know, very involved in the startup and venture ecosystems at MIT. Uh, I was talking to founders every day and hopefully being a value add to them from a, this is what you should put in your deck or like, here's who I would approach as you go out to fundraise, um, as well as um, having investing experience early on with, with dorm room fund and, uh, you know, uh, pitching companies to these venture funds. And, you know, um, Brand Foundry took took a bet on me as well and love that consumer meets technology um, experience. And that's sort of what kickstarted with Dorm Room Fund kickstarted the rest of my venture career. Well, I think that's an important note for people that are interested in getting into venture capital. It's A, take the initiative, right? Yeah. Don't just sit there and wait. <laughs> uh, two, start doing the job now, right? Add value to the partners and show that you're already capable of doing the job. And then the likelihood of them making that leap of faith, because there's no roadmap of, okay, this is how you get into venture capital, right? There's different paths of getting there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I often say, you know, just to, to put it in perspective, like a lot of venture jobs take about four to six months of very like deep and heavy networking and thesis building and becoming visible on any social media platform, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn to folk, you know, for folks to really start catching on and saying, well, Ashley, oh, oh she's the consumer person, or, you know, Mark is the, the healthcare person, or John is the, you know, a B2B SaaS person. And <clears throat> excuse me, as much as you 
can become that person and be put on people's radars, of course, they're going to remember you for that open role that, by the way, venture jobs are very, very under the radar still. And I, I don't agree with that, but, um, you know, it's a lot of, oh, I know that person would be great for that role. Let me, you know, do an inside referral type of thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So Vamos Ventures, how did you get connected with that firm? <laughs> so uh, Vamos Ventures, actually, I got connected to this through this wonderful program called Pledge LA. Pledge LA, by the way, for anyone who's interested, is um, a program that places uh, diverse and un- underrepresented students at different venture funds and startup uh, um, oriented companies in the LA ecosystem. And so it's a very competitive and um, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big process, but, uh, you basically get placed with a fund and that's what I went through with Vamos Ventures and how I got connected with Vamos Ventures. And I got connected to Marcos Gonzalez, who's, who's the partner of our fund as he was closing his, his fund one. And so did the internship there. Um, and then after business school, the, the, the world aligned where the fund had closed and he needed uh, a principal on the team. And, you know, I said to myself, I have so many different venture opportunities. I had the big funds. I had the medium-sized fund. I had, I, I had the small funds, but wouldn't it be cool to join this fund that is focused on this huge opportunity and it's still overlooked where only 1% of VC dollars go to backing Latinx founders, where the demographics are changing so that you know the, the Latino population is becoming a bigger part of the population where, by the way, 30% plus more entrepreneurial are Latinos than, you know, traditional um, demographic and one in four new businesses in the United States is started by Latinos and that's only growing. And so I saw this interesting opportunity to both one invest back in my community because I'm Puerto Rican and Turkish. Um, and so, you know, didn't see a lot of folks like me in this space or as I was going throughout my career. And so why don't we empower those types of people? And then two, uh, join a fund where I could have a lot of ownership in creating things like the platform. Like, what does it mean to be value add to these founders? To um, you know, having a big say in my investment, you know, um, decisions and in the companies that I source. And you know, it, it wasn't political. It was sort of flat. And I love that. It was almost joining a startup in and of itself. And it kind of is a startup in and of itself because you are truly building what fund two, what fund three, what fund four will look like. And I just loved the mesh of all of that. Um, and I'm so happy at Vamos Ventures. And uh, you know, we're doing what we said we were going to do. We've invested in 25 portfolio companies to date. We have about 20 more to go, 100% diverse, 90 plus percent Latino. Um, and this is a true, this is sort of, uh, an example of Amos Ventures' portfolio is an example of that those founders exist out there. You just need to be focused on it. So true. So true. Yeah. You can't just sit there and expect your network to refer diverse founders. You need to actually be proactive and work hard. <laughs> like it takes, takes work. So, so what's the, the size of the fund and are you doing, uh, you know, more like seed series A, like what stage of investing are you doing? Yeah. So we're a $50 million fund, pretty good size for a first time fund. Um, we're going out to fundraise next year as, uh, as we, we talked about before, but, um, in terms of the, the stage, we do mostly early stage investing. I would say about 90% of our portfolio is between pre-seed and series A, and then about 10% of our portfolio is allocated to later stage investing. Um, you know, the, the early stage stuff is that there's 
a lot of entrepreneurs who identify as, you know, being from an underlooked, overlooked, underserved background. Um, but on the later stage side, we often get questions of like, what, why do you invest in like series E's and series C's and whatnot? And that's to show that, again, that those entrepreneurs exist out there, that they're being value add to the community and building these behemoths of, of businesses. And that, you know, once they do have that amazing exit, they could be part of this ecosystem and helping some of our early stage founders, right? And so keeping the, the community tight-knit and just, you know, vocal and, you know, that knowledge share that happens within our portfolio. We just came out of our founder summit out in San Francisco and there were later stage founders and early stage founders there. And I can tell you the room was buzzing with, uh, you know, feedback, with ideas, with, and that's the beauty of having, you know, that type of allocation. Vamos Ventures, um, you know, thinks of things when we talk about sort of thesis in a few different ways. So the first thing is that the next tech error is going to be shaped by diverse experiences and perspectives and founders, that the Latinx pipeline is going to explode and be a major driver of innovation, as we've been seeing, um, and that the VC ecosystem isn't changing fast enough. And it's overlooking diverse talent. And so, you know, we again, we see this major opportunity. Um, we're investing in a few different areas. So health and wellness is a big focus for us. Uh, fintech, future of work, and sustainability. And I could sort of, uh, you know, go into those different things, but I personally cover health and wellness and anything that touches sort of consumer, even, even fintech, for example. Well, let's talk about kind of where you're specifically aligned with investing. So health and wellness, like what are some portfolio company examples and things that you're thinking about just more industry wide? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with health and wellness, uh, we see a lot of opportunity in that there's such disconnect in the current way health works in the country and how these diverse you think? <laughs> exactly <laughs> and how these diverse communities are getting healthcare, right? Like I don't understand that we're, you know, this big country with so much economic value and, and it's just the the it's so archaic the way our, our systems work. Um and so you know, uh, I think as it relates to sort of the diverse and, and Latino connection, a lot of people don't have private health insurance or insurance at all. Chronic conditions are prevalent in these communities. I think one in two adults, uh, particularly in the Latino community, is going to develop diabetes over their lifetime. Um, and then, you know, there's a growing need for care for the elderly population and aging in place and making those folks comfortable. Um, and so we're, we're thinking about these different themes. And in terms of verticals, within the health, excuse me, health and wellness space, it's a few different things, affordability and access, which I think is pretty obvious, right? We want to look at companies that work towards more affordable and accessible care that put sort of the overlooked and underserved patient at the forefront. Mental health, because, you know, mental health conditions are not diagnosed as much. I think it's like 40% underdiagnosed in Latino and diverse communities than in, than in other types of communities, right? So how can we make it more okay to seek mental health. Um, the other thing is chronic conditions. So I mentioned diabetes and, and heart health, huge in Latino and diverse communities. And then finally that aging. So a lot of healthcare workers, as you can imagine, identify as Latino um, and, you know, we want to, and, you know, aging isn't just one person going through it in, in our type of culture, it's the entire family unit going through this aging process and caring for their loved ones. And so we've made a few different investments as it relates to those different themes. We have Mega Health, 
um, that helps people live long and healthy lifestyles, focus on heart health. So prevention and gamifying that experience. Um, we invested in Zocalo Health, which is a, a company that is really trying to rethink that primary care model for Latinos, focus on a value-based care approach um, and how to engage culturally with different you know, members of, of the community. Um, and then we've uh, invested in companies like Sticks that is focused on, again, the affordability and access issue that informs women of things like, um, you know, how to get a fertility test, how to get a pregnancy test, what to think about, um, where in those areas, in certain areas of the country, that's still very taboo, right? So educating and, and providing that, uh, that know-how. Now you mentioned uh, you recently held a founder summit, which is fantastic to bring all the founders together. Uh, across the portfolio. So, so what role do you look to play when, when you do make an investment in a company? Yeah, you know, very candidly, this is something that we're that's still evolving at Ramos Ventures because we're a fun one. But I think, um, you know, it's that, that, sh- uh, that extra set of eyes, that extra, you know, I guess, partner in, in knowledge um, or in how do I go about doing this? And so a lot of our value add has been ad hoc with founders saying, hey, like we need to hire this person. Do you know anyone? Or hey, like we're going from a B2C model to a B2B model. Do you, can you like guide me and how best to go that based on your experience? Um, but what we're being very intentional about is, uh, is asking the right questions and meeting with our founders very uh, frequently. So I typically meet with founders every, let's say, you know, it could be anywhere from every two weeks, every four weeks, every six weeks. It depends on, you know, what, what the, um, what the needs are, but in those conversations, it's asking like, what do you need? Like, what can I prioritize for you? How can I work for you? Because our companies are going to be as successful as not only the founding team and like, you know, the market and like the timing and whatnot, but also like the partners around the table that are working for them and and helping them. And so I always ask that question. Um, What we're doing is uh, in the background, we're creating sort of this big portal for portfolio companies where they can connect on everything from fundraising to, and by the way, with fundraising, like, should I talk to this fund? Like, what are sort of the, the real takes on these different funds as I go out to fundraise? Um, to hiring and talent, we're creating a pipeline and partnering with different organizations to um, feed our portfolio companies more diverse talent. Um, finding different board members who identify as, as diverse, right? Um, and keeping our founders accountable from that impact perspective, I think is, is a big one. Um, but we will have sort of this portal that's sort of a one-stop shop for our founders that, um, by the way, we also believe very much in not keeping that information just to portfolio companies, but you know, from an accessibility standpoint, informing even founders that maybe it's not the right fit for Obama's Ventures investment at this time. But by the way, here's this amazing hub that you can have all these resources from fundraising to talent, to distribution, to all this, all these other things. So how does somebody get on your radar? Like we did talk about, you know, being a venture capitalist requires a lot of work to build up your network and hopefully find great entrepreneurs. But how does someone get on your radar? And then like, what do you, what do you look to get out of like that first meeting? Yeah, I think how someone gets on our radar is, you know, there's a few different ways. It's bugging us <laughs> and telling us and, you know, just on LinkedIn on, I always love that persistence and in, in founders of like, Hey, like take a call, take a call, take a call. Um, there's also our founders form on our website where anyone can write 
you know, what a one minute form about their company and it automatically gets reviewed by our team because we don't believe in any sort of, oh, you have to know Ashley personally to, to pitch Vamos Ventures, right? Um, so there's that founders form. And I think what's also wonderful is leveraging your personal relationship, just going back to my last point of, um, you know, I know, I know someone at this, or I'm a founder and I know someone at this fund that knows Ashley and I'm going to, you know, ask that investor to maybe refer um, my company to, to Ashley. Um, or, you know, we always love when other founders recommend other founders to, to pitch to Vamos Ventures. And so, you know, those are the, the few different ways to sort of get on the radar. I also think relating what you're doing to any of our thesis areas is just a, a big win. So if there's a company, for example, that's focused on affordability and access in the healthcare space, really making that front and center. And when you do your outreach, you know, curating it to fit sort of our thesis and, and why we'd be great to, to work together. So um, so in terms of a, a first meeting, uh, I think it's a few different things. It's uh, what wh- who is this team? Is Does this team have experience intimately with this problem, whether it's through lived experience or work experience, or maybe they have a friend who's gone through it? Um, it's how big is this problem and could this be a venture scalable solution? Could this be a potential unicorn one day? Uh, and then, you know, what are thoughts on sort of go to market and distribution and, and strategy around getting this product and or solution in the hands of, of the right people, whether they're consumers or businesses? And then I think, you know, just a general understanding of, of market dynamics and, and their asks, meaning that, you know, they're thoughtful about how much money they're raising. They're thoughtful about realistic milestones and they're thoughtful about the partners that they're coming to bring, that, that they want to bring to the table and, and have around them, right? And that they're aware that, you know, maybe they want an investor that's focused on hiring and talent or really good with like, you know, distribution that they don't currently have on their founding team, but at least they have that knowledge and are seeking that knowledge. So I think it's a few different things. And then just going back to the team, I love, love, love big vision, big idea, pitch me a world that doesn't exist yet that I want to be on board for this company. So once you start going down the process of figuring out, is this a fit for an investment? Like what gets you to that point where you're like, okay, because one of the things I've gathered, that's the hardest part about, or one of the hardest things about being a venture capitalist is having to say no a lot. So at what point do you eventually, you know, issue a term sheet? Yeah, it's, you know, our our process and we like to be as candid and as transparent as possible uh, is it's not, you know, I can champion a deal and I really need to sort of have the team's alignment in in this. And that's the fun part about this job. It's believing in something so much and convincing other people of that same vision, um, even though they they might not be initially. And so, um, you know, we have a few calls with the founder, we're diligencing on different, you know, areas of the business. And then, you know, in the background, what we're doing at Vamos Ventures is we're building consensus. We're meeting as a team. We're saying what excites us about this company. We're getting information from our other team members on the investment team as to where are their friction points still and how can we find out how we could ease those friction points. Because we'll talk to the founder. We'll have the founder do a call on, you know, user experience. We'll have the founder do a call on, um, you know, you know, go to market and how they're really thinking about that in a creative way. And so each of these little steps, I think, again, is building momentum 
if you're really trying to push a company. And then we have a formal investment committee for each of our companies that we're very, very serious about where their entire team meets our entire team. We're asking each other questions. Because by the way, this isn't just a one-way street of Vamos Ventures asking questions. It's making sure the founder sees alignment in what we're doing and that there's a really great mutual fit there. And there's a comfort there and an understanding there because um, you know, this is going to be a long relationship, right? Seven, eight, nine years, whatever it takes. And you want to make sure that the folks around the table, your investors, your your board members, whatnot, um, that you get along with that. Again, they have that understanding of that your vision and, and where things are going. So there's emerging tech hubs, uh, you know, with the, the movement towards remote work, it kind of opened the eyes for entrepreneurship that doesn't have to just be in Silicon Valley or New York or Boston. Uh, so there's been a lot of entrepreneurial activity across different areas in the country, which is great. Are you seeing the same with Latinx entrepreneurial community building and entrepreneurial like companies being built in different uh, regions throughout the country? Yeah, absolutely. It's nice because I think in the last several years, you've been seeing more of it. In New York, for example, I mean, Hispanics make up maybe close to 30% of the New York City population and only growing. And so there's been more focus on not only like these cities like New York, Miami, the Bay Area, um, you know, Chicago, but in everywhere between uh, that there are opportunities and there are a lot of there is a lot of creativity coming out of these these different hubs. And so, um, you know, thankful to the wonderful organizations that are VC Familia, Latinx VC that are targeting you know, not just again, the, the coastal, the coasts, it's targeting everyone in between of let's create community around entrepreneurship. If you identify as Latino, Latina, um, let's create community. If you're an investor in any of these areas, let's, you know, let the founders meet the investors, let the investors meet the investors, the founders meet the founders. Um, so yes, I am seeing a lot more activity in, in that community and ecosystem building and then wonderful partners for example, like Google for startups, like Silicon Valley Bank, that are putting dollars into these different initiatives that are only expanding them even more. Um, you know, Vamos Ventures is, is based in Los Angeles. I'm I'm here on, on the East Coast, so I cover a lot of the East Coast and, and anywhere in between type of areas. Um, but the reach is is real. And the way that we do that is we're very intentional about traveling and you know, asking folks in different cities, who should I meet? You know, who should I bring together? How would this, you know, how would the 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 meats of the worlds uh, be beneficial for everyone? And who can we get on board that can really push these efforts? Uh, I think at the, at this stage, especially as the community is still growing, as we're getting more dollars into diverse founders and getting more investors on the other side, it is all about having major partners in this and making things more visible. So obviously, there's a lot of uh, discussion on the economic conditions and how that's you know, affecting fundraising. So what advice would you have for founders that are raising uh, capital in this climate? <laughs> a few different things. Listen, it's it's tough. I mean, also being on the other side, right? Fundraising for our own fund, it's it's tough. So I definitely, I, I resonate with the, that journey and it's it's an uphill battle, but once it happens, it's, it's the best feeling in the world and it does require a lot of resiliency. Um, you know, a few different things. I would say, Focus on the right KPIs. I think the last few years have been too centered upon the amount of capital raise and the speed of growth and growth at all costs, but really be intentional about the amount of money that you raise. Again, who you have around the table and focus on those right KPIs and milestones that are realistic. And only you can know that as, as you build the business, right? The other thing is 
sort of um, improving your path to profitability, profitability and focusing on organic growth and driving diverse revenue streams, right? You don't want to have a business that's only levered to, you know, a, a certain thing or that only gets money from a, a certain pot. You want to make sure that your business is diversified. And then finally, I think despite the uncertain times, really being focused on staying curious, always asking your customer questions. How can you better the product? How can you make this iterative and, and enjoyable for not only you know you building a company, but also the customers on the other side and that they have everything that they want, or at least they have a roadmap to get everything they want. And that's just me being a more consumer oriented investor, but I think just listening to the customer is key. And then you know as you go out to fundraise, be curated. And I, I know I mentioned this point before, but you know, don't just go to generalist funds if you find that they're not investing in your space. Do the research and see where there's alignment with the folks that you're pitching to, whether they're angels, strategics, venture capitalist funds. You know, for example, if you're a healthcare company focused on the black and brown communities, go find those funds that really focus on the black and brown communities. Or go find those funds that have a really interesting take on sort of healthcare delivery and have invested in, in those types of organizations and, and companies. Yeah, I think um, you know the, the the climate's a little crazy right now as far as macroeconomic trends. But I think if you're a investor and you the first thing you mentioned when I asked about criteria you look for an investment, you said team first, right? So if you're the team that is uh, looking to solve a problem that you're ne- uniquely qualified to solve with a legit business model, you're going to get funded. <laughs> like it's going to happen. Maybe it's not the same valuation, but I think everything was inflated. Everything had to come back down to earth. And you see all these charts where, oh my God, we're, you know, X percentage below where we were last year. Well, last year was so unique. It's just, you can't compare that. Look to normal years of where that investing was. And we're just going to get back to normal, but normal's really good. So I just think the media, like the, they just like to spell gloom and doom all the time. I actually stopped reading a lot of the news because it just bums me out. It's nothing good. Like, honestly, I definitely, I, I agree with you. I think like, we're going to come back to like what normal is. And there was so yeah. much that. And um, to your point though, if you have a good business, if you have a good idea, if you have a great team, you will get funding. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So what's been, uh, you know, I mentioned, you know, perhaps saying no a lot would be a, a, a challenge for a venture capitalist, but what, you know, if someone's interested in pursuing a career in venture, like what have been some other challenging parts of being a VC? Yeah. I think in this job, you always have to be like on and present and like, you know, trying to come up with like the next contrarian idea. I feel like a lot of, and be vocal on Twitter, for example, I'm not a Twitter VC whatsoever. I just like retweet different things. I probably should be a Twitter VC. Um, but I think it's always being on and always having something like contrarian to say, but I've learned that you know, again, everyone has such different experiences, whether it's from growing up or, you know, lived experience or work experience that you do have something interesting to say, just based on, based on that, you know, your, your life and and your story. Um, I also think balancing the investing side. So investing in really great companies, developing a track record and always, um, sort of, um, I guess going back to the visibility point, always being sort of on social and on, and, you know, uh, throwing out ideas, but at the end of the day, again, what really matters, I think, as an investor is the impact that you're making with your track record and investing in different companies. So it's like your deal sheet, right? And what theses have you really proved out? What have you stayed true to in, in your thesis, the thesis building? Um, you know, how do you analyze 
teams and has that stayed consistent. I think these are the things to sort of keep in mind, but I would say, you know, being on all the time and being visible are definitely the the biggest challenges. All right. What are three apps you can't live without? (laughs) Um, Well, being a a native New Yorker and loving sensation news, I would have to say the New York Post for sure. <laughs> I read what goes on there. Um, my notes app, every time I meet with someone, I'm always like jotting little ideas down or like things to read or whatnot. And the last one is um, an app that I actually angel invested in. It's called Alinea Invest. And what I love about Alinea Invest is that um, instead of investing in single stock names, you create a stack of, you know, based on a certain theme. So if you want to invest in public companies that have a sustainability edge, you just do that in one click of the, uh, you know, one click um, on the app and it's geared towards, you know, younger types of investors that maybe don't have all the time to consume all this crazy market knowledge. Right. And so it's bite-sized type of research with one click type of investing. All right. Any great uh, book or podcast recommendations? Yeah. The wall street journal, I don't think produces this anymore, but I really loved, um, the podcast called secrets of wealthy women. Just again, I love stories and I love like the aspiration and, um, and they brought such wonderful, successful women founders on that podcast. And I was just so inspired by the stories. And then, um, in terms of books, I think that this is related. It's alpha girls that, uh, focuses on the big, uh, stars, especially from the earliest days, who, who are women investors um, and the legacy that they've built and the trials and tribulations of what they had to do to become huge successful partners in Silicon Valley. So those are, those are two of my faves. Those are awesome. That's very cool. I'll, I'll check out both. I haven't heard of either. So those are, they, like, I have two uh, teenage girls, 18 and 16. So I'm always looking for content to recommend them. to them as well. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. What do you like to do for fun outside of work? Oh man, I wish I didn't like to do this, but I like cooking and eating, (laughs) (laughs) trying trying new restaurants out. You know, the the beauty of New York is that there's always something to try that's new. And I love different cultures and different cuisine. So um, that, and I like to to cook from scratch. I also love live music. I think that's what calms me down is going to live shows and just turning off from the world and consuming that. Yeah, and no, it was great to be able to go to concerts again. I absolutely agree. Oh, it's the best. The best. Well, Ashley, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and your journey into venture capital and obviously all the great tips for entrepreneurs to follow. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.